0: Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. What's up, everybody? Happy hump day. Yep, I said it. Wednesday. It's, a, it's like a chance later that the sun will come out. I'm excited about that. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do if it's not raining. It's poking out.
1: It's peeking.
0: <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> out of context, uh, that would have sounded kind of funny there, Lucas. But, yeah, I, I can almost see like a silver lining literally to the clouds out the very tinted windows of the studio here. oh That's coming out look like. Well, I thought that when I left my house, and then as soon as I thought that, like, "Hey, man, it's, I, look at that!" It started to rain on me again. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But hey, always sunshine on the Blaine and Mickey show. Two hours, one to three, we're going to be uh, hanging out with you today, and can't wait to do it. Uh, the Hitman Blaine Bishop is here. Mickey Ryan is here. Guess who else was at practice today? Taylor the One. Mike Vrabel said before practice uh, that he expects to see Taylor the One at practice. Well, they're practicing now. So I got a feeling he knew that he was about to see him at practice, but uh, well, what does that mean, though?
2: You know when you, <laughs> these coaches talk, it doesn't mean.
0: <laughs> oh man, I just broke
2: my oh my pad. But anyway, what's that, going
0: on over there? You, on the, yeah, struggling. Struggling. I just
2: I just broke. Yeah, I know I'm struggling. My 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 phone was buzzing and everything else. And people always want to call me when I'm on air, and, and I'm like, and it's people who know you probably that know what you do and when you do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that that's. What's so funny? But, uh, you know, I, I always responded. I never, you know, but uh, anyway. But, you know, when coaches are talking about their practice, he could be out there standing or he could be out there with uh, the rehab people doing, you know, warm ups or sprints or, testing, or, his, something. Yeah, or yeah. testing his knee out. Or he could be doing partial of the reps. So, at least, you know, if he doesn't go on Sunday, that the backup could say, hey, I, I've done some reps this time. Uh, you know, because not too many times you think you're not going to get any reps, and then you do fairly decent in a game, uh, which is what they did. Uh, so I think it's still good news that he is practicing. So that means the swelling or whatever got irritated, that had him limping, you know, up the ramp uh, pregame, at least settled down enough where he can practice, which is kind of interesting, you know, already, you know, on Wednesday.
0: Good so sign. The way he went down, and the video's out there. There's video. He's he's just He and an assistant coach are just doing uh, just some typical pregame type knee testing drills, and he just goes, boom. And then there's a video of him walking off, and he was just walking so slow and limping. You said it, though. You, you could have told me anything at that point. Like, you could have said, I think he just tore it again. I probably would have believed you. I was really concerned about that. It
2: kept everything from me saying that because I didn't want to change. I was like, whoa, the way he's walking is not good. I mean, on and that drill wasn't – it didn't seem like it was something uh, really strenuous on the knee. Obviously, it was. He uh, just hit the guy's arm pad, and and then he fell. It's like, wow. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah. So, hopefully, on grass helps out. Whenever you're playing ACL, I really feel like uh, it helped me. I never had an ACL tear. Watched a lot of people rehab. Had a, a meniscus uh, three surgery scoped on my knee. I feel, really feel like – I initially hurt my knee playing on turf. Yeah. And when we got to Tennessee, then almost everything was on grass. And that really made a difference to my knees throughout the rest of my career.
0: Yeah, it really did. You, you've you talked about that on the pregame show. Uh, we've talked about it on our shows before. It's come up. Were you? Let me ask you this, because there are going to be a bunch of Oilers here to celebrate Bum Phillips this weekend. How bad was the turf in the Astrodome? <laughs> <laughs> was it wait, basically wait, wait, like wait. a thin sheet of plastic let, over concrete? Let me just
2: say this: it was just like the concrete there. I'm parked my car in out there. <laughs> that it was how it was with the little layer of uh, some thin astro turf. Ast- Astro-turf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that that's pretty
0: much how it was. It was
2: like Euro concrete. Yeah, that side felt too. What
0: was the so worst I feel for those guys that played on it? Oh man. my gosh! Yeah, for, they played on a parking lot. Was it the worst field that you played on? And I asked that because no the, Philadelphia, the, the old Vet Stadium. People yeah. always said yeah. was unbelievably yeah. terrible. It was wor- It was the worst.
2: Okay, yeah. I, I, you know, in your mind, you know, at that time, and this is uh, early in my career. You're thinking it wasn't that the Oilers turf was bad. Not until like in your mind, three years in, when you're learning about all the other turfs, and you say, ah, that's probably fifth. You know, yeah. worst. You know, there was other fields that were just as bad. Yeah. Cause at that time everybody was using the same kind of turf, really. Right. Just some had ripples and wrinkles in it, and vet the vet was that way. I mean, you could actually see them. And it didn't help though that they had a jail at the bottom of the stadium too. You always when you y'all hear these noise and everything, like who's down there? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, no one was thinking that until the year we're moving, and then it, I think they. Kind of just laxed up on how much they were, you know, taking care and putting it down appropriately, how they put the turf down. Yeah.
0: Do you think because you played in an era, you played in it literally in an era where you played on terrible turf and, and other stadiums too, as you pointed out, then you come here on grass? Let's just say you only ever played for the Titans and all your home games were on a grass field. How much do you think that would have benefited just your overall football health, your knees, your joints? Playing on a grass and dirt field at least eight times a season as opposed to playing all those games on a parking lot with some turf. Well, you know,
2: actually you probably played about 10 games on grass because it wasn't like every field had turf once we moved here. Right. So it was like, oh, man. So I would say probably 12 games were on grass. Uh, Oh, yeah, I think I would feel a lot better. I don't think I would have had, you know, a couple scopes. Uh, And that leads to, you know, maybe back or other injuries for some other guys. Yeah. Uh, But for me, it was just really that, just – the knee, uh, and it was, you know, more lateral meniscus, Uh, but I've seen guys stop, plant, boom, quad gone, stop, plant, ACL gone, patella tendon, I mean, it it just, the list was, I mean, almost like every game, torn ligament in the foot, dang, I planted on my foot, you know, 50 times, (laughs) boom.
0: That was, uh, I can remember going to St. Louis Cardinal games as a kid. not oh, football, I, I remember but, that. But baseball games. And they just played on the same field, and there were little spots of dirt where the pitcher's mound was in first, second, third base, and home. Everything else was a was a concrete slab with turf on top of it. A lot of people, like baseball teams, it, it eventually all just said, what are we doing? And went back to grass fields.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I only played on one baseball field, that but it was grass, and that was the 49ers. A candlestick. I didn't even like that because you go from grass to dirt, but it wasn't anything painful for my knees or ankles or anything like that. It was just a, the uncomfortable feeling of different surfaces. Right. It was really different. As a DB, you're always cautious of that. You're, you know, backpilling backwards. You have no idea. You know, you're not thinking about, you know, where's the dirt and the grass. You're just lying up playing ball. Uh, so, you yeah, had to be conscious of that.
0: And Oakland typically had that too. Now, when the Raiders were playing in Oakland, I know they were nomadic and went to Los Angeles for a while. But the Oakland Coliseum, they shared that with the A's. Yeah. So that was the last yeah, stadium I never played there. That was the last stadium had the combination dirt and grass. You there's younger people listening to the show that have no idea what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That that a stadium had a baseball and a football team and shared it. Uh, but that was kids. If you're listening, if you're in the car with your parents, that was a well, real. Well, it's no thing different.
2: To you got the you know the different kind of turfs now. I mean, there's a lot of things that have changed. you got these stadiums. Everybody wants dome stadiums so they can bring a Super Bowl if they're going to build a new stadium. Uh, so, you know, field turf or whatever kind of turf that they're using now is is the going rate right now. And they say it's supposed to be better for for your knees and joints and everything else. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't been out there running around on it for, you know, five or six years. I have no idea. <laughs> I did. I did in Philly, though. They had new turf there, so. Uh, At least uh, for a practice, right? They used and they were kind of
0: so it it felt
2: better, but I don't know if it's healthier.
0: Arkansas State used to play games. South Alabama's home field was this place called Lad People Stadium, and it had it had the worst turf that I ever walked around on. There were drains in the turf, and the turf was so thin that there was just the top of the drain and the holes, like you could trip over it. The turf was all melted away. It had disintegrated around the drains, and that was where they played football down there. Yeah. Well, what the this leads to was. is about,
2: you know, there's a lot of former Oilers are going to be here. Yep. And, uh, you know, we get to see probably, we bring it up because there's going to probably be a lot of guys limping out to the field because of uh, maybe knee replacement, torn ACLs, and the like. So, yeah, so it's going to be a really uh, awesome time to see uh, former Oilers and Titans uh, this this weekend.
0: Titans, according to Jim Wyatt's Britches report, are going to wear the light blue jerseys uh, with the dark blue pants this week. That's the report. I I just wish this had been a year later because if they had come out in the Oilers uniforms and then honored Bum Phillips and had Billy White shoes and Dan Pastorini and Elvin Bethea and all those guys, I would have lost my mind because you know uniforms and how I am but uh, they are going to wear the uh blue jerseys. That would have been really cool, That would have been. Oh, my gosh. But to me,
2: the NFL should always make exceptions to the rule. They can get it done. They did it one year. They just, oh, yeah, they can wear it. Mm-hmm. Not the Titans, actually. Oh, no. I other, mean, there's zero teams.
0: exceptions for the Titans. I, you know, I'm sure if this was the Cowboys and they wanted to do oh. something, they'd figure out a way to work that out. Not yeah. the Titans,
2: though, you know. Uh-uh. Uh, oh, we need a year. No, you don't. No, you don't. No. I know there's a lot of strategic things. People, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, they have plenty of time. If you have six months, you got plenty of time.
0: That's enough time. It's about that you didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, uh, maybe next year they'll bust them back out. You can hit us up, uh, Zone TV chat. Maybe you want to see the Oilers uniforms on the Titans. Maybe you don't. You can always hit us up there, at Blaine and Mickey on Twitter. Uh, but, again, this is a big weekend. Oilers homecoming weekend a bunch of the houston players are going to come up and uh bum phillips will be honored he had over a 600 winning percentage for this franchise in six years as head coach and they'd been bad and bum phillips took over and gave the organization a bunch of stability uh if it hadn't been for the steelers oilers probably have a world championship because there was one team who was better than them they just happened to be another aoc team in their division that they kept running up against in the playoffs or uh no remote uh No instant replay cost him a a win, too, because, well, just Google it, kids, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But uh, nice celebration of the Oilers this weekend. We'll certainly be talking about that all the way up until Sunday. When we come back, though, it is Florida week for the Tennessee Vols. Our buddy Ben McKee set to join us. He's with Volcrest Quest. He's with Swain Event. And uh, he's with us next right here on Blaine and Mickey. Blaine and Mickey one zero four five is on Lucas, man, always finding the tunes. Well, Pete Townsend, Pete I love Townsend.
2: him. He he said he just randomly pressed him. He didn't <laughs> know what he was doing. Is that what happened? Lucas? I do
0: know this song. I you know, know this song. song.
1: I, I I'm stunned. Yeah, he, he, Lucas, he's I, not he's got a little
2: old soul tool.
1: I just love Pete Townsend. Like "Eminence Front" is my favorite song by the Who of all oh, time, and that's really? Pete Townsend singing that song. Huh. You know, did, and writing all that, that had, stuff uh, I, for the Who, boy, Lucas. Well, well, Lucas, how
0: did that happen?
2: Like, did you you hear
1: it? I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I, that's all I listened to, like in middle school was like classic rock. I don't <laughs> know why. I mean, my dad was always playing like the Police. See, that's what I'm saying. Was it your dad? Yeah, it was my dad. But no. like, even my friends in like middle school were listening to Led Zeppelin and ACDC and stuff. You know, that right. was like my first impressionable music growing up.
0: Oh, okay, it's pretty good. Middle school you went to, Lucas. You want to give it a shout out?
1: O-L-V, it's a Catholic middle school in Birmingham. I don't know if they had anything to do with it, but for, for whatever reason, that's what we listened to.
0: Lucas and the Nuns listen to Led Zeppelin. Uh, ben McKee joins us now on
3: the phone. <laughs>
0: Swain Event and Ball Quest. Uh, ben, do you want to shout out your middle school or give us any music preferences before we get started?
3: Yeah. Just, uh... Man, I, I traveled so much growing up that we'd be here all day if I had to shout out all the schools that I went to, including middle schools. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, my son asked me, "Where did you go to middle school?" I said, "I went to Harrisburg Middle School." He goes, "Well, how many were there in your town?" I said, "Only one." He said, "It was named after the town." I said, "Yeah, that's the way they do it when it's the only one in town." Wow. So, uh shout out to the Harrisburg Junior Hornets. Ben McKee, uh it- I went to a school that had a number. Well, there you go. 94. Well, he was school number 94. <laughs> so the <laughs> balls might have been able to score 94 if they wanted to against Tennessee Tech. Uh, what did you like and not like in, in, in that game? I know there's a lot to like, but did anything come out and you're like, eh, that's a little sketchy? Well,
3: I'll start with the positives. I, I liked the, the, the lack of penalties after all of the mm-hmm. penalties that Tennessee committed against Pittsburgh, cut those down pretty significantly. And uh, the big thing was they weren't necessarily self-inflicted penalties with personal fouls and those nature type of, of penalties. They, they were more so just kind of in the flow of, of just playing football. And I thought that was a big step in the right direction. So I like that Tennessee cut down on penalties. That is obviously something Tennessee is going to have to make sure that they uh, – do a, a good job of this weekend in Gainesville is is staying penalty-free, I guess. And then uh, the, the turnovers, finally getting their hands on some footballs. Uh, the defense, that is, uh, had not forced a turnover through the first two games, and then they come out and uh, pick off four passes. So uh, the fact that Tennessee was able to create some turnovers w- was a good sign. And I wasn't that worried about it, to be honest with you just because I felt like Tennessee was in good position the first two games to create some turnovers. They just weren't able to um, carry out the play or or finish the play and and, um, haul in the football. So it it was good to see them finally um, generate some turnovers because that's another thing that they're going to have to do this weekend if if they want to pull off an upset. So uh, turnovers and penalties, I thought Tennessee took a a step in the right direction there. Uh, What I didn't like was, that Tennessee's offensive line did not bully Tennessee Tech. Uh, I did not think that uh, Tennessee's offensive line played all that well. And part of that is that they are banged up. There's a lack of depth uh, situation going on there. And uh, you you were already battling depth coming into the season. You lose Cooper Mays two series into the season, and then by the time Tennessee Tech rolls around, Kingston Harris gets banged up early on. Uh, Cade Mays, after he destroyed some poor kid on the sideline after the fumble return, he gets banged up and has to lead the game. So there's three guys out of your starting offensive line that's not in the game uh, for a good chunk against Tennessee Tech. So maybe that was the case. Maybe they were just simply playing down to competition, but I didn't like that Tennessee's offensive line did not just dominate in the trenches.
0: Ben McKee starting off with some good info there. He's mm-hmm. at Ben McKee 14 Swain Event and com. He's a hardworking dude.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, I completely agree with that. The offensive line was disappointing against Tennessee Tech. But moving forward, what do you think are going to be the keys to actually having a shot at beating Florida after watching them really, to me, taking Bama to the woodshed like no other team has done in a long, long time? And that's running the football.
3: I was surprised by how well Florida played. I I was not Mm -hmm. very high on Florida whatsoever going into the game because this isn't the the Florida team that I've grown up watching in terms of having those elite pass rushers, those elite corners, elite receivers, uh, and poor quarterback play mixed in. So uh, this, this Florida team does, does not have those elite playmakers that we have become used to, but they showed up and played extremely well on Saturday against Alabama. Like I said, I, I was very surprised by their performance. I, I thought Alabama was going to to run away with it in the game, and I, I think you saw some immaturity from Alabama when it did get up big early on and took their their foot off the gas and, and got too comfortable, and when you do that in football, you're just asking for trouble, and Florida nearly came back and and handed them an L because of it, but Tennessee's going to have to find a way to contain the run. I, I don't know that you can stop the run, uh, Florida's rushing offense is legit, but if if Tennessee can just do enough to where it's just not truly dominant and give the offense enough opportunities to to hit on some big plays and connect on some deep balls that they haven't been able to connect on so far, I think Tennessee absolutely has a has a chance to win this game. But I, I'm also just kind of hitting on the the note that I'm not ready to buy on buy into Florida just yet. They, they played well against Alabama. There, there's no debating that. And you deserve a lot of credit if you do so. But that was the best game Emory Jones has ever played. That Mm -hmm. was the best game that that offensive line has ever played. And uh, there's some other players on on defense that that played the best game of their career. Brenton Cox on the edge. Yes. Uh, so, So can those Florida players follow it up with another solid performance? I'll be curious to see if if they revert back to their old ways and if Tennessee can pressure Emory Jones into some bad turnovers, which he is prone to do throughout his career, uh, and find a way to to slow down the run just a little bit and hit on those deep balls that they haven't been able to, then then I do think that they have a chance to win. It it may not be a great chance, but, hey, Mm -hmm. there's a chance.
2: Oh, No question about it, they have a shot. Uh, We're on with Ben McKee uh, with Sweeney Event and and We have to talk about – you know, the quarterback, and I know we we're talking about the quarterback at UT at nauseam, but who do you think will actually be out there? Or do you think we'll see both the, you know, Hooker as well as Milton in this game? And, and who do you think is the better quarterback thus far to this point if both are healthy, which Hooker is?
3: I I would roll with Hinden Hooker. I think he gives the offense the, the best opportunity right now to put together some drives and uh, the best opportunity – uh, to to just go out there and and make plays. I I think Joe Milton has all the potential in the world. He has more potential than Hendon Hooker does, but it's just not clicking for him. And I I I don't know that it's the the best idea to continue to to roll him out there. And although he has great arm talent, continue to try to fit a square peg into a round hole because that's what it feels like is the case with. With these deep balls, it's it's just the the same old same old every single time he drops back and uh, I realize it's it's right now a two game sample size or a game and a half really because he left pit early and and didn't play last week but he threw enough deep balls in those two games to where uh, I, I think the the writing is on the wall with Joe Milton so. Uh, maybe you do use a, a two-quarterback system. I'm personally not a huge fan of, of two-quarterback systems because I, I think it throws off the rhythm of the offense. And I get the idea of trying to get Joe Milton's legs into the game, but I, I think Kendon Hooker's better running the football. So, uh, I, I don't know how e- effective that would be unless it's a, a short yardage situation. So, uh, the, the the turnovers with Hendon Hooker are worrisome, but I think he gives Tennessee the best opportunity uh, to move the football up and down the field. And although he may not have the the arm talent that that a Joe Milton has, uh, he he's a veteran. Uh, he's he's played in road games before uh, when he was at Virginia Tech and performed fairly well in them. So I think you know, he gives Tennessee the best chance to operate the offense and. Uh, behind that offensive line that I talked about, make some plays and and cover up some deficiencies. Mm-hmm.
2: Now these are your thoughts, but what do you think, Coach Heupel thinks who should start if they're both healthy?
3: If they're both healthy, I think Tennessee rolls with Joe Milton one more time. Mm-hmm. I, I think they they give Joe Milton one more opportunity, just because again his his arm talent is legitimate. He <laughs> I mean he has ridiculous arm strength as as everybody has seen and. I mean, I don't know that you can find 10 NFL quarterbacks that can throw the ball further, harder than than he can. But that's not the name of the game, right? The the, the best quarterbacks are the ones that throw with anticipation and can can throw guys open and, and read defenses uh, extremely well and uh, can can put the ball where it needs to be. And I think Joe lacks that right now. So. I do think that Tennessee would maybe give Milton a third opportunity because of that arm talent. And I mean, to to Joe Milton's credit, I mean he's only played in two games at Tennessee, and he's only been through thirty practices at Tennessee after after being at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. So maybe this this is just some um, early career um, blues uh, at at Tennessee for Joe Milton, and, and maybe he can iron out these kinks. Uh Tennessee's staff seems to think that he can still iron out uh, the kinks to his game. So uh, it would not surprise me at all if Tennessee gave him one more opportunity to to show his potential and, and tap into that potential.
2: Erwin, uh with uh, Ben McKee of Swing Event and
0: Ben, when you look at the Florida offense, um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, Jones playing maybe the best game he played. Which one of those guys concerns you the most?
3: Anthony Richardson uh, just the the dynamic uh redshirt freshman uh who Dan Mullen appears to think he'll be uh ready to go on on Saturday. He he concerns me the the most uh, just because with with Florida's rushing attack there's not one guy that just dominates the game like a Tank Bigsby for for Auburn. The that that's not how Florida's running game is so successful. They have three major ball carriers um, back from last year, Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, Naquan Wright, and they're, they're just all really interchangeable, and they all do something uh, a little bit different, uh, and they're veterans, uh, especially Malik Davis and, and Damian Pierce. So there's not one guy that scares me within uh, the the rushing attack that Florida has. It's more so a, a group effort, but Anthony Richardson, the, the young quarterback that Florida fans have been clamoring for, he he's just he, he's special and he has that it factor and if you go watch his his film from the USF game and Dan Mullen talked about it post game is he does so many things wrong mentally just because he's so young but his talent just makes up for it where he'll he'll go through the wrong progressions or. Uh, he won't slide the protection the right way. Something like that. But then because he is so talented, his legs and his freakish athletic ability will make up for it. So uh it's it's the legs of Anthony Richardson and being able to contain him and I think Emory Jones uh falls into that category as well. I, I don't I, I would not be scared at all of, of Emory Jones' arm if I'm Tennessee. I I would completely sell out to stop the run and if Emory Jones beat you through the air then then so be it, because he's he's never really done that in his career. So being able to contain the legs of Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, I think is the thing that would worry me most if I'm Tennessee's coaches, just because you saw Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh yeah. be able to get out of the pocket, extend drives with a first down on, on a, a third and medium or a third and long. He was able to do that a couple of different times. You can't allow Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson to do that, so honestly, there's not one guy that that really worries me. But the the legs of of Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson uh, at the quarterback position, and being able to contain them, uh, I, I think is at the top of my to-do list this game. Just because you don't want to add that element of the rushing attack along with the good backs that they already have.
0: Ben McKee, our guest. It's interesting yesterday, Ben, we had Mark Long on. He's the AP reporter who covers the Gators. And he said he felt like Mullen learned his lesson way back in the Chris Leak days of just play the scheme that you have based on the personnel that you have. And he said Florida was the number one passing offense in the nation last year, and they're no, the number two rushing attack in the nation right now. And, you know, he said he, he gave credit to Dan Mullen from learning from past mistakes and just saying, okay, we can run it. So that's what we're going to do this
3: year. That's why Dan Mullen's so great, right? That, that's why he is one of the the best coaches in college football, and why there's been some some rumors, some some talk behind the scenes of him potentially jumping to the NFL because his his system is is so great, and what makes great coaches great are the ones that are able to uh, not try to fit a square peg into a round hole, and really scheme up the offense, game plan the offense around what they do best, and uh, this is not a Florida team that has any receivers that are going to be top draft picks in the NFL. Uh, Jacob Copeland's their their best receiver, their wide receiver number one, but he's been very inconsistent throughout his career, and based off of being a high-level four-star or a five-star coming out of high school, he really hasn't met those expectations, so Uh, Florida lacks the the playmakers on the perimeter that we are used to and and so it's had to be an offense that rushes the football well with a veteran offensive line coming back uh, top three backs from last year coming back along with some five-star transfers from Clemson and Miami Emory Jones what does he do best well he's he's best when uh, he's able to make plays with his legs right now Anthony Richardson uh, he is the same way. He's he's best when, when the ball is in his hands and, and he can uh, make plays with his legs. So that's what makes Dan Mullen great, right, is that he's able to, to fit his offense a, a, a around what it does best, and, and that's definitely not throwing the football.
0: Ben McKee telling us what Dan Mullen does great. Ben does a great job with Swain Event and VolQuest and being a guest here on Blaine & Mickey. Oh, yes, he does, Ben. Thanks for
2: coming on. Uh, I have to ask you, I know a lot of people are big you know Harrison Bailey they get into the recruiting and the rankings and everything else i thought it was uh you know interesting that he didn't get to play until you know the fourth quarter but the way the game was going and uh, maybe the coach wanted to see Hooker a little bit more in different situations uh but what was your evaluation of Harrison Bailey thus far to this point in Hypel's offense
3: yeah very telling that Harrison doesn't really come in until uh the last drive um of the third quarter which i think was with 30 seconds to a minute left in the third quarter, and then he got the fourth quarter. Um, a little surprising just because it, it being Tennessee Tech, and I thought that they would try to get him a, a little more playing time with, with Joe Milton being out. But, again, I think it's very telling and, and tells us all we need to know about kind of what the coaching staff thinks of Harrison Bailey right now. I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't anything to – to to brag about I guess his performance on on Saturday I did not think it was overly impressive he didn't do anything uh, that made me say wow I guess the the one play that sticks out is I think it was the fourth and seven play where Tennessee's offensive front did absolutely nothing to pick up the blitz and and left Harrison Bailey on an island and he was able to to make a play with his legs and and pick up the first down Uh, that, that was a great play by him and then uh, on the touchdown, I mean, everybody in the world, everybody in the stadium didn't think that Harrison Bailey was going to keep the football in that situation, but he did, and he was wide open to, to scamper home for the touchdown. Uh, so those were two good plays, but outside of that, uh, he he didn't look all that great throwing the football, in in my opinion. Had two deep shots that he was incomplete uh, on both. Uh, on one, Ramel Keaton had to dive for, and uh, that was – caught there was a penalty on the play so it, it doesn't count against them on the stat sheet but it was a little bit of an overthrow and then uh, he came back and overthrew ramel keaton again and then he just missed some some really simple throws uh where he overthrew a guy and uh threw one in the dirt so uh, i wasn't overly impressed uh to be quite honest and uh, i think you saw on saturday why he is significantly behind joe milton and hendon hooker
2: no question we're on with the. Ben McKee of uh, Swain Event event of dot com, And I was interested in what your thoughts were on with them playing in the swamp and the noise, if the crowd gets into it, how this could potentially affect the offense, especially if they start going three and out all the time, and then it leads over to affecting the defense.
3: I think the great news is, is that you get Cooper Mays back, or at least it's looking like you're going to get Cooper Mays back and, uh, he's the, the the genuine linchpin to the offensive line up front. Jerome Carvin's done a, a solid job filling in for Cooper May since Cooper went out of the game week one against the Bowling Green. But uh, Cooper is the guy on offense, kind of setting the tone for the tempo and the, the communication uh, up front. He, he's a big help to whoever is that quarterback, and he obviously has not been in there. It's looking like he'll be good to go on Saturday. looks like he'll be back in action against the Gators. I think that will go a long ways towards helping um, navigate the, the crowd noise and not let it affect the offense too much, just uh, his ability to communicate and, and just being able to, at minimum, be in the right spot every single time. That That's the one thing you don't have to worry about with, with Cooper Mays. I think he brings a, a calm presence to the field. And, and then I think also – uh, whichever quarterback is behind center will also play into that. I don't think Hendon Hooker would, would get rattled by the crowd noise. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but he's he's a veteran. And uh, Josh Heupel last week uh, raved about how Hendon Hooker prepares like a veteran. So I, I would be surprised if if the crowd noise uh, rattled him. Um, but there are some other guys on, on this offense that will be playing in the swamp for the first time, playing – in their first true sec road game with with a crowd and that that is a concern but i think tennessee has some some veteran pieces at at key positions that will help um help that not affect the the offense in a negative way i don't know how joe milton will respond honestly we we just haven't really seen enough from him uh, even going back to, to michigan playing in a covet season last year so I don't think that it would rattle Joe because Joe has been playing college football for a couple of years, but you just never know until guys are thrown into that um, situation. And and if you're Tennessee, obviously you hope that Tennessee can sustain some drives because you're going to want to find uh, your defense some rest here and there going up against a Florida rushing attack that is just going to try to run it down their throat all game long.
0: Ben McKee, hey, we got like thirty seconds left. We're a little bit over, but I wanted to ask you this: What is targeting in college football? Does anybody actually know?
3: No, it's egregious, <laughs> and we we need to we need to change it to where these kids aren't getting ejected. They work too hard all all year long to get ejected from a game.
0: Right, man, that was, hey, you nailed that one. Right, very concise, Ben. Hey, man, we always love catching up with you at Ben McKee fourteen. People can listen to you with Swain on the Swain event and uh, read your work at VolQuest. Thank you, man. Appreciate the time as always. Thank you, Ben.
3: Always appreciate y'all.
0: Yes, sir. Ben McKees, uh, uh, always a great guest. When we come back, I got some I got some Dane Cruickshank numbers I want to share with Blaine. I want to talk safeties with the king of the Titans' safeties, the hitman. Next, Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 This out. Ah, you remembered my challenge from yesterday, Lucas. I said a reminder. All right, Saturday in the Park. I'm gonna. You need to hear this. This is the version with words, right? Yes. Okay, because a lot I, of our songs. I know songs, this
1: song. I'm kicking myself. Of course I know this song.
0: They literally say it in the song. It's the first thing in the song. <laughs> this is the name of the song. Okay, I'm going to let this go because you're our show linguist. You're going to tell me what he says in Italian. All right, it's coming right up. Playing a little music. We'll get to Dane Cruikshank here in a second. Okay, here we go.
1: You know what? I think that's, I, I think that's, Uh, he's referencing a song. I think he's referencing an old-timey Italian song that I only know because my dad plays like Italian music (laughs) while he's cooking sometimes. (laughs) So Do I you think know he's referencing a song? I, I don't know. I either. have no idea. Because uh, he says singing Italian songs, yes. and he says "e cumpari. and I couldn't make out what he was saying. I don't know how his pronunciation is either, and it, and it could be a dialect too. Well, like, I mean, he's a guy from Chicago. Let's right, give him right. a break
0: on his Italian accent. Well, and,
1: and the lyric could be it could be Sicilian, it could be some type of Italian dialect that I'm not as familiar with, even though my dad is Sicilian. But I, I, I think <laughs> cumpari, cumpari, I think is like "hey man," or like I think you're saying, you know. A brother or comrade or guy, you know what I mean? I think that's what it is, but I think he's literally referencing – I'm going to Google it right now. I'm 95% sure that there is a song called E Cumpade that he's referencing in that.
0: Oh, wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's
1: in today's Kumpad, language man. lesson with Lucas. <laughs> I'm playing it, baby. I'm just mad that I that didn't register in my head when you said, you know that song? Like, of course not. I've heard that song a million times. I can't believe I didn't connect that.
0: Saturday in the Park, man, that's like if you go to iTunes – That'll tell you what the most popular song is, at least right now, digitally by anybody. I think that's either mm. number two or number three behind a couple of those, you know, Peter Cetera power ballads from the early '80s. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, as Lucas continues to uh, to research that, yes, "E Cumpari in 1953,
1: an old timey Italian classic song, is what he's referencing there. And meanwhile,
2: I had no idea that he even did that in that song, and I've heard it 50 million times. <laughs>
1: Hey, this, this Jordan Dejani just texted me. He's going to join us here in like 20 minutes. It said, "Rattled, you didn't know Chicago yesterday, but Music Choice has been amazing." <laughs> I know the song. I'm so mad at myself for not not registering that oh,
0: yesterday. Man. It's literally, just yeah. the first thing they say. Yeah. I know.
1: I, mean, I know. That's, why I, that's I can't believe it. we, I we that.
2: must make you do something like wear these blue glasses the rest of the show or at least for 10 minutes <laughs> or eat more
0: seven, cheese or, or something. segment or I something. Man, yeah, yeah got to
2: be some punishment there for you, man.
0: <laughs> Saturday in the Park. I mean, that, that's a top. I don't care by what metric you measure. That's got to be a top three Chicago song. Yeah. Man, no matter what metric you're going by. Um, and, and Dane Cruikshank metrics. And I want to talk to a safety about this. John Glennon, we, we referenced this yesterday. He had one of the most epic like stat dump tweet threads that I've ever seen. We had a whole bunch of them. Which one are you referencing? It was it was amazing. <laughs> so, John Glennon, if you're listening, salute to you, my friend, in any language. Uh, Lucas could salute yeah, you in Italian. M-G-O. Yeah, it, just an amazing uh, stat dump earlier this week on Twitter. Uh, John comes on with us, comes on other shows on the station. Fantastic Titans reporter. One of the things he tweeted was Dayton Crutchshank played 36 snaps. It was a career high, right. and I thought, we've talked about him, so I'm like, he never plays defense, so I looked. No, no,
2: no, no. That that, that. Yeah, he never played defense, but he also missed a lot of games, and
0: he wasn't available. He wasn't available. And Mike right. Vrabel actually talked about that today. He said, you know, he hasn't been available. He hasn't been available even for practice for long stretches. Yeah. He played 36 snaps in his career. He played 25 in one game. He played 10 in another. And other than that, he's never played more than seven defensive snaps. And, again, Vrabel kind of talked about that today. Of, he's just been available. So, you know, they cut Bradley McDougal. And- well, no, let's keep it real, Mickey. What part you're missing here is they benched
2: McDougal and put Grouchet out there. Yeah. And they can cut- say that all they want to, but that's what happened. Yeah. Oh, we used a different pack. No, you took him out after he got beat by Lockett. Ooh, Lockett beat a lot of people. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Just kind of, And then they cut you. So you went from practice squad to starting to now cut.
0: In Welcome what? Welcome to the NFL. Five, five days total. Oh, the whole journey took about so, five so days. Yeah, yeah not, it stands fun. for not for long. But, you know, they looked, they cycled how many safeties through uh, in the preseason. Yeah, a, they did. A lot of different guys came through. and It was all over. They were still standing with Matthias Farley, who they'd signed early in the or the middle or so of the offseason, and Dane Cruxshank, who had been here. They remained the backups. Uh, and still are the backups. Here we are and about to play game number three. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because, you know, he keeps showing flashes
2: because he is a tremendous athlete. Yeah. I, actually, I think he could play corner in a crunch. He has those kind of skill sets. Wow. Yeah, but he can't stay healthy. Yeah. So you're rolling the dice when you go cut him into – is he a starter? No, but is he a solid backup and can play in a crunch? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. They cut him in uh, – what was it, Rush? Who was the – uh, yeah.
0: yeah. The big guy. Uh, so,
2: uh, yeah, that that was kind of interesting. And
0: and then who did you sign to replace them? Uh, they didn't sign anybody yesterday, but history says this. They at, will. At the time we say goodbye today, they will announce whoever they've signed because that happens about 45 seconds, it seems like, after we leave the air every day. Well, they might have told
2: McDougal. I don't know how it ended for them. And besides the play, we saw him get BD. But, you know, just with Crookshank's history, you can't yeah. feel comfortable as a coach thinking – He's going to be that part-time guy or, or the potential starter now until Hooker comes back and and think that the guy behind him better be ready to go. So, yeah, because his, his four-year history is pretty up and down, up one week, down the next three weeks, uh, and it's all about availability. So we'll see. It's, uh, it's probably the last year of his contract, too, basically. Was he a uh, fourth-round pick or so?
0: Yeah, this is year four.
2: But he's got some yeah. talent to him. It's just, you know, you get frustrated as a coach. It's like Darrington Evans. If you go four years in and then you you miss four games next year, all right, or you do something else, strain another hammy or whatever. Right. Your tricep or whatever. And then the next year, you're going in your fourth year, and you're, you're a third-round pick. You go, well, dang, man, how much is this guy available? That's like putting him out there. Nah, you're going to be our guy now. Yeah. You're gonna be our guy. Henry's gone. I don't think so.
0: Dane Cruikshank, uh played 12 games, 16 games last year. He only played two. So he's already matched his play of last year. He's played two this year. He played two games all of last year. And it would have to be in the final year of his contract as well. well back person. in my era, let me
2: just say this before we go to break. I wouldn't be sitting in this chair right now because I would have been cut out the league if that was going on to my career. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would have been gone. What? You're not available?
0: <laughs> that new paychecks not B's, available.
2: B stands for by blame.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's what this a
0: different error man. Fourth year? Oh yeah. What? Oh,
2: how did you make it this long? <laughs>
0: Different, different times. Different times. Uh, we got a little bit more time. Actually, we got a whole another hour when we come back. Um, Jordan Dejani will join us in about 25 minutes with all the latest NFL headlines. Also, you'll never guess what we're going to tell you about next. Another honor for Derrick Henry. Yep, he's got another one. He's going to have to build another trophy case. We'll be right back. Wayne and Mickey.